All right, everyone, I want you to stand up right now. Take out your phones. Take a selfie with your neighbor. It's time to get social. Welcome to the 4th of Major Race 28 recap episode of the UR Team Number podcast from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Harmstone, and with me celebrating my 100th podcast is the Canadian who would never get rejected for ha- having a wobbly blade, Logan Saunders. Afternoon. And yeah, as I said, this is my 100th podcast appearance. Jeepers. Centurion. Yeah, I am the first Centurion of uh, of Reality TV Warriors. God help me. I will not be far behind you, I have a feeling. The hilarious thing is, we were going to be celebrating your 100th as a team, but, you know, it's looking like we're getting a basketball break, so we're going to have to wait until after the basketball break, probably. Oh, I I can't wait that long. You'll be on 99 by next week, and then apparently there's a basketball break. So unless we sort something out for the uh, unaired period, then yeah, you're going to have to wait till probably about middle of april i think i know what we need to do for the 100th podcast i think i do as well (laughs) (laughs) seeing as though we've already talked about it uh, on a a previous podcast actually so i just want to address something there's been a new podcast that has been creeping up that has been uh, emerging this season you know it's 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 run by our good friends justin and diana who who, you know, the, the, the green team of yesteryear. And uh, they have been interviewing current racers in each of their podcasts and continue to poach our viewers. So, so we got, we you know, this podcast, our livelihood depends on this podcast, Michael. So uh, as we discussed earlier, we do, we do have um, an interview on this podcast. In fact... We're one-upping Jess and Diana, and we are going to interview Jessica and Brittany, the latest eliminated team, later on in this podcast. So if the viewers out there keep on listening, you know, you're going to get a real treat. Yeah, stay tuned. Yeah, Jess and Diana aren't the only ones who can pull this off. They they haven't shown up online yet, but, you know, they said they're coming in about, uh, I think, about 10, 15 minutes, so... Let's just, you know, let's just discuss this episode and they're, and they'll be on before you know it. So previously, 10 teams continued racing through Cartagena, Colombia. Aaron faced more caves. Uh, Tyler and Corey exploded while Zach and Rachel came up short at the detour. A roadblock showdown ended with Curtin Brody winning the leg and Cameron and Darius becoming the second team to be eliminated from the race. And teams must now fly to the one city this uh, season that I've actually been to, Geneva, Switzerland, and find Amazing Race 3 classic location... The Jeddo or a Faunen. That is genuinely how they actually introduce it on if you go around Lake Geneva. And here we have the Jeddo or a Faunen. You know what's weird is that they didn't even refer it as the Jeddo in the episode. They just said, "Oh, it's just a you know a jet stream." That's all. That's what the contestant said. And that's what Phil said himself. Apparently, he just he's just gotten lazy 
after 25 seasons passed by, he's like, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like pulling the whole French lingo out. I'll just say, you know, jet of water and boom, that's it. Water fountain is how the team's actually pronounced it. And just for the record for some of the races this season, the Swiss fr- speak French, German, Italian, and Romanche. Yes. As well as having a very good knowledge of English, from my experience. My grandmother uh, speaks all of the official Swiss languages, believe it or not. To be fair, she did run away from the Mafia, so, you know, knowing European languages is kind of helpful. (laughs) Oh, I let that joke go on for too long. (laughs) I love that joke as well. And we have Kurt and Brody leaving at 10.22, then, yeah, at 10.30, Bernie and Ashley at 10.48, Dana and Matt at 11.19, Brittany and Jessica at 12, uh, Sherry and Cole at 12.44, Erin and Jocelyn at 1.27, uh, Scott and Blair at, yeah, for the first time all season, they didn't give us all the departure times, so, editors, you suck. Yeah, why, why leave just one out? That's just teasing Michael, guys, like... You know, editors, uh, departure times are a key thing for people who statistically analyze this race. If we don't have departure times, you know, we what are, what are we then? Are, are we just a lawless uh, society with, with no rules? And if this was a video podcast, you would have seen a massive flashing red arrow when Logan said people who statistically analyze the race. Because I do <laughs> a lot. In fact, I am the curator of the internet's most detailed Amazing Race spreadsheet. <laughs> David Binley would argue about argue with you about that. No. Because David Binley has a PDF file with every task ever done in an English-speaking version of the Amazing Race. Yeah, David has that PDF file. I have the statistical analysis that goes along with it. Well, I have confessional counts for almost every episode. So together with the three of us, you have a bunch of pointless Amazing Race information. Yeah, Bindley's getting uh, quite a lot of shout-outs. He had a shout-out last week as well, didn't he? Yeah, he, he's, a, he's an alright Aussie. Yeah. He's an alright Aussie. He's one of our... He probably is our favourite Australian, actually. Oh, ben, Ben's going to be so pissed when he hears this. Don't forget about Michelle Logan. Anyways, uh, so we don't get a whole lot of material before teams go to Switzerland. We get... Uh, uh, I can't believe this word is being used on the Amazing Race, but for the first time ever, the word showmance is dropped. Oh. Was anyone else a bit nauseous about the repeated uses of the word bloody? Well, I mean, with the, all the jokes we, with Blair and the, well, the unintentional amusing editing, the having the nickname bloody just seems really inappropriate. It would be like if, I don't know, say, the guy who was in Hanson 20 years ago, one of the brothers from Hanson, that is, uh, got into a relationship with Mandy Moore, and their relationship nickname was Handy. They've even got a theme tune by Weird Al. And for some inexplicable reason, we have a transatlantic flight that everyone is just forced onto the same one. No one's allowed to actually pick another one. Apparently that's a big switch from letting teams choose between four flights last week. They're like, yeah, you're all just going to be on equal playing field to Geneva, just to let the bottom feeders for the past three rounds all catch up to one another. Because that went well. Yeah. And they spend far too long on showing us that these people are actually popular on the internet, because they have fans even in Colombia. Yeah, who knew the Rafael Nunez airport was a big hub for people to take pictures of their favorite social media stars? And it brings up an interesting point, because... For weeks and weeks and weeks, uh, producers and past contestants have had to repeatedly deny that they are uh, 
anything other than normal people. They keep saying, oh, you know, no, we're just like, we're just real people that just have like uh, any other job. But then we get scenes like this where they act like they're celebrities and take pictures with everybody. It's like, it's got to be one or the other. You can't just say, oh, we're just normal, everyday, regular people. And then two seconds later, editors are showing us a scene with them posing with a bunch of locals who were starstruck by them. And did you hear the explanation for the what country is Switzerland in controversy? Yeah, apparently somebody on the airplane, I guess, asked Jessica and Brittany what country Switzerland is in, and then Jessica and Brittany relayed that question to Bernie and Ashley. Yeah, it was a Franken edit, apparently, which is a wonderful editing term. But of course, this then played up the stereotype of all models are dumb and pissed off Jessica and Brittany a lot. Well, I mean, because last week the the U-turn wasn't used, and that was the first U-turn to not be used in the US version since 13, I think. So producers are probably pretty pissed off during filming, like, oh, you know... You know these guys aren't using the U-turn. You know they're not they're not quote unquote playing the game and giving us the footage that we need. And then when everyone's all buddy buddy with each other, then producers are like, "You guys are giving us no storylines to work with. So all we can really do is, as punishment, to make you guys look as stupid as possible, even if it's not entirely accurate." And once teams get to the jet d'eau or famine, uh, they have to then head on foot to Chocolat Roll where an hours of operation awaits. Teams can't enter the store until 10am, but they enter in the order that they arrived, which was Bernie and Ashley, Erin and Jocelyn, Sherry and Cole, Zach and Rachel, them, Dana and Matt, Brittany and Jessica, Kurt and Brody, and Scott and Blair. Did you notice the cheesy Disney music they played whenever they mentioned uh, Blody in the airport? I-, I think we need to come up with a new ship name, because it is making me slightly vomit having to say the word Blody. Can we just say, like, Blody? Just so it sounds... I don't know. Not like blowjob. <laughs> the Reddit subtitle for this episode is it's a, So It Sounds Not Like Blowjob. <laughs> I liked last week. Last week's was uh, Besos, Pesos, and El Resos. <laughs> what name can we give them? Uh, can we just say Blair and Brody? Or, yeah, um... let's just go with Blair and Brody. Yeah. Not everyone needs a ship name, guys. Yeah, not even... A, I mean, you have... Malayas from Amazing Race Canada, but the, it feels like they earn that because of how awesome and amazing Elias Theodoro is as a person in all of his majesticness. Logan has a UFC on the brain again. <laughs> yeah, I just saw the pay-per-view last night. But uh, with Brody and Blair, I mean, it's just two people who were plucked to be on a social media season. I mean, they didn't fight in the UFC, so... So basically what Logan is saying is for them to earn the name Blody, they have to fight in the UFC, or at least one of them does. Yeah, Blair, I mean, I'm sure Blair can fight in the <laughs> strawweight division or or even go up to 135 and take on Ronda Rousey, you know. It's like if, if she gets armbarred than Ronda Rousey, then I can be right there and say, okay, you can call yourself Blody. Who out of Blair and Brody would you rather fight in the UFC? Oh, I feel like either way I answer this, I'm going to get in trouble. That's kind of the idea of the question, Logan. <laughs> I mean, with with Blair, uh, I'm trying to think of the pros and cons to this. Uh, I mean, if it was on a bus in Colombia, um, I think I would probably lose against Blair because she would have so many uh, fans on her side. She would have essentially home court advantage. And with, uh, with uh, Brody... I mean, if 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 he's if he just suffered an injury from Ultimate Frisbee, then I think I could take him. But if he's been 
uh, if he's uh, served uh, or he, if he's suffering from uh, frisbee rust and uh, hasn't been playing too often, then he's probably uh, not in rough shape at all, and then he would probably beat me up. So it depends on this. It's it's circumstantial, Michael. It's a new newer version of uh, a dozen duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck. <laughs> <laughs> Who would you rather fight? One Brody sized Blair or a dozen Blair sized Brodies? <laughs> and the question that everyone is for some reason not asking How did Erin cope with the hours of Operation Cave? Was she not scared out of her mind? Oh, like like staying in there. She, she could have been like Bart Simpson and just be like, oh no, clown will eat me. Yeah, wouldn't it have been. Lo- like some sort of I'm a celebrity style trial for her to stay in the cave for ten hours or whatever it was. Oh yeah, and then they can like throw in like tarantulas and I don't know maggots and centipedes and you know just all and uh, they could even uh, throw in say Maria and Tiffany for extra torture. Oh, Gino uh, and Jesse. Gino and Jesse, yes. They can talk about how great Canada is. And <laughs> yeah. how you never have to leave. <laughs> yeah, they're. In fact, did you know, Michael, that at the roadblock, Gino and Jesse were right there. They were doing the task along with them, and they they didn't know any of the flags, but they didn't know the Canada flag. They knew that one, said, "Oh, that's that's the only flag we need. Everything else is just pointless." Frankly, you could remove the other 192 flags from the flagpoles that are hanging around. I'm pretty sure Gino and Jesse would have been opposed to the twist on Big Brother Canada Fall this year. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need international people to come to Canada. We just all they're all in our backyard. In yeah, <laughs> all of the greatest house guests you ever need is in our own backyard. <laughs> oh God, I would love to see Nikki Graham have to deal with Gino and Jesse. Actually, who are they? Who are they? Where did you find them? They're just a bloody old Canucks. I know we're not doing a podcast about Brewery with Canada this year, but I hope they play with the aircon with Nikki Graham because. Her most infamous moment, which we did see a slight clip of when she was introduced this week, was her sitting in the diary room chair just going, I'm so cold! And they were just, they were messing with the AC just to wind her up. Oh. All the other housemates in the UK were just turning the AC down to cold because it was the middle of summer and she's really cold-blooded, so she was just bitching in the diary room just going, I'm so cold! Oh man, imagine Nayanka would have quit after like two weeks in that house. Actually, Nikki's not going to go outside to the hot tub thinking about it, because she will be freezing in Canada. We saw snow already this week. Just think that around Christmas Eve, it was 14 degrees Celsius in Toronto. Yeah, it was about that here as well, somehow. It's never that warm here in summer. Um, so once teams get their chocolate box in the morning, they find out it's a detour, which is workbench or bench work. And in workbench, teams must assemble a Swiss army knife from scratch to receive the next clue. There are only three stations available at this detour. And in bench work, teams must work out the length of the world's longest bench in newspapers. Once teams submit an answer that is between the given range of 190 to 197, they receive their next clue. And for bench work, at least one team member must be on the bench at all times when they're counting. And... If nothing else, I know it's a bit of a boring task and we won't be talking much about the detail, but if nothing else, it's great for them having to interact with locals. Which one had the limited stations? Uh, workbench, the Swiss Army one. Why do they name the detour options that? Do you know how confusing that is? I mean, you can have the, you know, the puns or, you know, like, I don't know, uh, uh, what, what's the one from Amazing Race 3 in the Morocco leg? When it was like, now you see it, now you don't, and those were the two detour options? At least, like, that's a... Uh, you know, that's an actual saying. But with this 
detour. It was just workbench and bench work. And I'm thinking, I'm going to get so confused as to which one is which when this detour is discussed uh, 10 years from now in uh, Amazing Race history. In my notes, they are literally just bench and work, depending on what the first <laughs> words are, because that makes life so much easier. And Brittany and Jessica walk past workbench and switch to bench work because they completely miss it. Yeah, them and Sherry and Cole always seem to be hanging around together in all four rounds. Not anymore. Not anymore, but I mean, up to this, which will, will, I mean, it'll be a few minutes before we talk to Jessica and Brittany about this, but they've, they've both teams have been sort of just hanging near the bottom of the pack in all four rounds, just trying to help each other out. Which one would you have done? Would you have done workbench or bench work? I would have done the newspaper one. I would have gone, I would have done bench work because... Building and putting things together is not quite my forte. Yeah, having been the owner of a Swiss Army Knife for quite a few years now, they are very detailed. And that sort of stuff you have to be on point for, because otherwise you'll get a wobbly blade, as Zach and Rachel did. You know, that's the worst thing. eh? You probably have to take medication for that, I would assume. Yeah, I've got a terrible case of the wobbly blades. It just won't stiffen up. And Bernie and Ashley are the first to get rejected with a guess of 217. Dana and Matt can't pay attention. Cole gets a lap dance. Oh, did you hear the thing about Dana and Matt at uh, the benchwork detour? I heard that everyone hates the fact that they uh, she sat on the chessboard. Yeah, that couldn't have even been comfortable for her, though. I mean, there, you know, there'd be a rook, there'd be the knight piece, especially the king. The king has a cross on top. Like, that cannot be... That cannot be comfortable. Technically, she didn't actually sit on the board. She sat next to it and sort of bumped it with her ass. Checkmate. Yeah, so technically everyone is wrong who is complaining about that. And Yeah, and apparently the, the chess players were plants by production. Yeah, I'm not surprised by that. They probably would have cordoned off that area just because it would have been an absolute nightmare if, uh, if it actually was real people. Yeah. Well, what would have been hilarious, though, is if production tried to make that task as difficult as possible, so... In addition to having the chess players, we also had like a guy juggling fire a third of the way down the bench. And then they have, I don't know, Dennis Rodman and uh, North Korean national playing, you know, just uh, alley-oop in each other and have a basketball hoop attached to the bench as well, just to make things that much more chaotic. And then have a bunch of the Mexican mariachi players uh, playing around as well, just just to make it as uh, as difficult as possible. The best distraction they could have done would be to bring the fans over from the Cthulhu detour from Mary's Race 26 in Japan and just make the papers blow everywhere. <laughs> yes. I can't even remember what the actual name of that detour was, but it's the Cthulhu detour now, in honour of Mike. Um, and Rachel does tell Zach to pound it at one point. Yeah, I wrote that down too. <laughs> Pound it, Zach, pound it. My wipe, my blade is too wobbly. <laughs> Workbench was such a dirty detour. And the first team to leave is Kurt and Brody with a guess of 190. They leave bench uh, with Bernie and Ashley in second. After getting help from Kurt and Brody. We don't talk about third place. Uh, Sherry and Cole leave bench in fourth with a guess of 194. Dana and Matt leave in fifth with Aaron and Jocelyn in sixth. Uh, Zach and Rachel leave work in 7th, with Scott and Blair in 8th, and Brittany and Jessica get rejected with a guess of 212, and then leave Bench in last with 192. And did you notice that uh, Zach does not know Scott's name? 
Yeah, he just refers to it as Blair, Blair and her dad, right? Yeah, and there's someone else who does as well. Someone else, I think it might have been Aaron and Jocelyn. Someone else says, oh, it's uh, Blair and her dad. I think Eero did that as well. I, I don't think Scott has introduced himself to anybody yet this season. I'm Scott Fowler, MD. Scott Fowler, MD does sound like uh, some sort of procedural drama you'd see on CBS. Yes. Scott Fowler, <laughs> MD. He'd be like Mad Max. He would just say nothing the whole time. He would just be... He would just be very focused on precision uh, surgeries. In a world. You could just see him doing surgeries on the Namibian desert or something. Just just, just, just very focused, very concentrated. And there's like multi-million dollar explosions going around him. By day, he fights tumors. By night, he fights crime. <laughs> Scott Fowler, MD. <laughs> this fall on Fox. See, it's not the tumor. <laughs> yeah, they just need Arnold in there just to make it interesting. You know, Scott would be the straight man, and then, you know, uh, Arnold would be the goofball. That's not how you put together a Swiss army knife. Scott, Scott. I can't do my Schwarzenegger when I'm lying. <laughs> Get to the train, Jessica and Brittany. Get down. Get to the chopper. Um, so, once teams complete their respective details, they have to head to the Palace of Nations and find the broken chair to find the next clue, which is a roadblock, which is who's having a banner day. And in this roadblock, one team member must identify the flags of the ten original members of the UN, which is Norway, Ethiopia, South Africa, Turkey, Liberia, North- Netherlands, Belarus, Uruguay, India, and Costa Rica, and rip them out with a book of all 193 countries' flags to receive their next clue. And there is absolutely no question about this. If Logan and I were a team on this season of The Amazing Race, Logan would be doing this roadblock. That is true. Actually, I was going to make a comment about this online. Even if, even if I, like, I was thinking, if I was a teenager and I was on The Amazing Race doing that task, I just know what 17-year-old me would think of doing that task. I would just be like, oh, I don't need to look at this board at all. I would just, uh, I would just try to impress everybody and be able to identify every single flag on my own. And then probably just find a few extra obscure ones just just to look that cool. Like even when I was in high school and elementary school, we would have to identify things on a map or or on a world map, I should say. And uh, I would just be I would just have so much pride in my abilities to identify these places that I wouldn't even borrow. T- I wouldn't even uh, bother to use the atlases in the classroom. I would just do it all off the top of my head. And then there would usually be like one location where it'd be some obscure river. And then I would think, oh, I don't know where that is. And then I would just get super pissed off that I would have to use an atlas in the end. Yeah, we opened the episode by talking about the fact that David Bindley and I are nerds. Logan is a geography nerd. Logan is probably the only person who could beat me at being a geography nerd. And I know full well that if you were helping another team, you'd probably flip through the book just going, that's Argentina, that's Uruguay. (laughs) <laughs> I would totally be screwing with the other teams on that task. I'd be like, especially with Argentina and Uruguay being so similar with the blue and white streaks, and Ur- Uruguay is the one that has the sunshine in the one corner. I would uh, just uh, screw with them and be like, oh yeah, that one's Argentina and that one's Uruguay. Oh yeah, for sure. And it is <coughs> Kurt, Bernie, uh, Cole, Matt, Rachel, Blair, Jocelyn, and Jessica doing the roadblock. And Cole knows a lot of the flags because he plays a lot of FIFA. That's funny because when I was six or seven years old, I had the, one of the FIFA games for the Super Nintendo. 
And that is so true. That is how I initially started learning my first few flags was by playing the FIFA game for Super Nintendo. And I also liked the visitor passes that everyone had to wear. The what passes? Did you not notice that everyone had to wear a visitor pass when they were on the UN grounds? They all had oh, no, I didn't. something attached to their lapels. Honorary guess. Social media influencers influencing international policy. And no one will help Jessica out. See, I've seen a lot of people bitching about this as well. The fact that Jessica went, oh, no one will help me out. To be fair, her and Brittany have both helped out a lot of teams over the past few likes. She even tagged around with Cole when he was getting nowhere with his roadblock. Exactly. She hung around with him for what looked to be at least an additional 20 minutes before he's, before she's like, yeah, I kind of need to find a way to get out of here now. And it just sort of, I, it reflected badly on everyone else, I suppose. Oh yeah, I had a note about the bench detour. Um, I know we're a bit past that. Nice and topical there, Logan. (laughs) Yes. Uh, With the newspaper detour, I was just thinking, how do they come up with that specific range of 190 to 197? What if they, uh, I don't know, used like Kevin Smith or something for the bench task? Would that, wouldn't the range be uh, way smaller? Or, I mean, way larger? I'm assuming they used maths to come up with that, but I don't know how either. Did they have 190 to 197 people all with their arms stretched out with a newspaper? The correct answer was probably something like 193, and they said, tell you what, we'll do it three either side, and that we'll be done with it then. It'd be funny if they used, if it was like a bunch of toddlers or something that they used to create the range, or used like... Uh, you know, the 2003 finalists for the world's strongest man and have those guys that are just absolutely enormous uh, determine the range. Because a lot of the teams came up with a higher number rather than a lower number. In bench work, teams must use uh, toddlers to measure out the world's longest bench. <laughs> um, and yeah, there's not really a lot to say about this task. About the Yeah, pretty much uh, they made the roadblock way too easy, in addition to a lot of people teaming up with one another. Which is becoming a theme this season. Yeah, actually, Miro um, posted online, he was saying that uh, producers weren't expecting everyone to team up that much, and... Or, and to, you know, sort of steamroll through the tasks as quickly as they did. And I guess the result, it was snowing really hard that day. So that's why they think there might have been multiple connections to get to the pit stop as well. And have everyone all bunched together. It was a pretty poorly designed leg, but we'll get to that. Well, yeah, we'll save that for the for the end. But yeah, the flag task, it was like, who teamed up? It was, uh, it was, uh, <laughs> and, uh, Brody that teamed up? Okay, yeah. Um... And then it was uh, Bernie, Cole, and uh, Matt. Yep. Where there was those three. Where actually Bernie and Ashley did really well this round. I know we haven't talked about them too much, but it seemed like they've been on top of a lot of the tasks. You mean now engaged Bernie and Ashley? Yeah, that was just a couple of days ago, right? Uh, well, they've been engaged for about a month, but people started noticing the massive ring on her finger a few days ago. Mm. How can he afford that massive of a ring? I don't think he's that poor. To begin with, he's the CEO of probably the most famous gaming YouTuber uh, company in the world. That's true too. It sounds like a true video gamer to get an up, get a massive ring for somebody else. And Bernie is the first to leave, with Kurt and Brody in second, Sharon Cole in third, Dana and Matt in fourth, uh, Scott and Blair in sixth, Aaron and Jocelyn in seventh, second Rachel in eighth, and Brittany and Jessica in last. And teams must now take one of multiple trains to Chamonix, France and find the what they said on the 
uh, the show The Town Square, but what was actually the Place du Triangle de l'Amitié, uh, the pit stop for this leg of the race, the last team's checking here may be eliminated. And here I was going to make a Pokemon joke with the town being called Shamonix. Chamonix does sound like a Pokemon, yeah. Go, Chamonix! <laughs> Chamonix used Ice Beam. Super effective. Yeah, I think the Anglophone pronunciation would probably be Shamonix. Sort of like how Shamonics. people would pronounce Shamonics. it as... <laughs> yes. Um, Sir Mix-a-Lot would be a big fan of that. <laughs> Seven four one. what you gonna do? Shamonix! Shamonix! Seattle! Shamonix! <laughs> and everyone has to take two train connections, which means that the last train leaves without uh, Brittany and Jessica. I mean, everyone else is on the same train, and it's an eight-way foot race to the pit stop. A three-way or a four-way is one thing, but an eight-way is just way too much. Given that there were nine teams left and eight of them were running in within about 30 seconds of each other, that is not a good thing, producers. Hey, did you notice when Sherry and Cole and... Brittany and Jessica were lost on the way to the detour, the casual jogger who just strolled by. I got a kick out of that. They were just arguing. They were like, oh, I don't know where to go. Man, I don't know where to go either. And then some guy just casually prayed with their conversation and chugs down another street. If I were Sherry and Cole, I would be pissed at this happening, though, because they left the roadblock in third and they checked in in seventh, which is insane. What's hilarious about this is that... The, they were, all of these teams were put on the same flight, and then they were all pretty much clustered together for two quick tasks during the day. And then they're all bunched together again on the train, and yet the order of arrival in terms of who's been top four for the whole season so far and who's been in the bottom half did not change whatsoever, even with it coming down to a 10-second sprint. Um, so Kurt and Brody win their second leg in a row. And they win $3,000 each. Yeah, that's two grand total more than what Dane and Matt got for winning the first leg. And the cash prizes are still pitiful. Typically it's, what, five grand each? Haven't we even seen ten grand each a couple of times? Usually it's up to about five by this point of the season. By about leg eight or nine, it gets to about ten grand, yeah. But this was just like, oh yeah, you guys guys are getting even less than what uh, Brendan and Rachel did. And they thought Amazing Race was supposed to be fun. Yeah. They Who Shall Not Be Named were second place with Dana and Matt in third, Bernie and Ashley in fourth, uh, second Rachel in fifth, Erin and Jocelyn in sixth, Sharon Cole in seventh, Scott and Blair in eighth, and Brittany and Jessica checked in last. And unlike Amazing Race Asia 2, it wasn't an elimination like. Yeah, like Asia 2 had that exact same setup where even when I did the recap for it, I said, okay, this is complete bullcrap that they're all just put together on the same train after racing for a really long time through Tokyo. And then I was thinking, there's no way they're going to eliminate somebody over this. And then at the end of the leg in Japan, after they all arrived by train, uh, ended up being just a to-be-continued non-elimination leg. So then it's like, oh, okay, that's fine. They pretty much rendered the leg null and void. And I even and for my uh, team average uh, placement on my spreadsheet, I just went by the order in which they arrived at the initial train station in Tokyo, as opposed to going by the pit stop arrival. And But with this leg here in Amazing Race 28, we get the exact same setup, pretty much, uh, well, it was identical, but yet this they actually eliminated the team over this little sprint. They were very lucky that Jessica and Brittany were a full train behind. I don't understand why the pit stop wasn't in Geneva, or just somewhere in Switzerland. Because <laughs> what makes it that much more stupid is because next leg, 
is taking place in that same town, right? Like all the previews are in Chamonix. Yeah, ne- ne- and, next leg is taking place in the French Alps near Chamonix. Yeah. And so it's like, well, what they could have done is just have the pit stop here in Switzerland, and then at the start of next leg, they take the the train to uh, Chamonix and have the whole leg there and have, you know, there'd be a spread bin, uh, between the teams. Or even if they all end up getting on the same train together at the start of the next leg, it's not it's uh, not a huge deal. But here they put everybody on the same train to the destination for the next leg, and then at the start of the next leg, they're all going to start at the exact same time. And chances are, it's going to be a really close finish again next round. Well, the rule is that in the event that they check in less than a minute apart, it just goes to the next minute. So that means yeah. that it's going to be an eight-minute spread on the departure times. They need to give me one departure time, and I can tell you what the rest are next. Like, unless Scott and Blair somehow ended up like sixty-one seconds behind because Blair ran a bit slow. And we did actually have a kind of question on this. We sort of answered it, but I want to get into some of the questions. Uh, and the great Jason DeLima says, "Am I the only one who feels like it was horrible planning by production to allow all teams to catch up on the same train right before the pit stop?" This basically made all the tasks beforehand null and void since eight out of the nine teams arrived at the mat only seconds from each other. It also crucified any team that missed that first uh, train to France, i.e. the models. Yeah, you're right. All they had to do was either put the pit stop in Switzerland, or nearby to Geneva at least, because there's a lot of pretty places around there as well, guys, or just an active route info in France. It doesn't have to be that difficult, it just has to be something to separate out the back. Fruit baskets. Yeah, they did the fruit baskets last leg, just... Come up with some sort of alpine equivalent. A cowbell or something. Yeah, or ski down a slope to get to the pit stop. Hold your horses there, Amazing Race Canada 3. <laughs> Sharon Terragrosa says, I like a leg to be won by strategy, look, good teamwork, etc. I suppose an argument that could be made that if teams hadn't worked together on the flag challenge, there might have been more teams on the later train. But if a team arrives at the train station an hour ahead of another team, I do- really don't like it when they lose out on their advantage achieved by actual problem solving. I don't know what the train schedule looked like for that day. Perhaps there weren't that many options, but they could have even had some sort of mini challenge right before the pit stop to stretch them out again. Um, Anthony Williams, on the same subject, says, Which production genius thought that having an equalising train journey about 10 feet away from the pit stop was a good idea? Too many of them? <laughs> and... Apparently, the pit stop was a third of a kilometre away from the train station. Yeah, it's a really short distance. So, why, I don't, yeah, I don't get to why they designed it like that. I mean, did they just intentionally want to want that suspenseful foot race to the finish? But then it backfired because there is one team that wasn't on that train. So it spoiled the whole idea of a close finish anyway. They were hyping up this season as one of there being a foot race for first and last on every leg. And there really wasn't a foot race for last this time, because it was a foot race for first to eighth. Yeah, exactly. And it was just won by the same people who have won the past three legs. They're all still in the top four. It doesn't matter what they do. (laughs) And also, for some reason, we saw Phil ask everyone if they knew what the last time there was a massive foot race for the mat was. Uh... Phil, why do you have to remind us of all-stars, question mark, exclamation mark? Yeah, they like this is what should have been the red flag in production meeting. They're like, hey guys, we're going to come up with this moment for this season where everyone gets to pit stop at the same time because it's something similar to what happened in Big All-Stars, which is universally panned as our worst season ever and was our worst season overall for, for a, a ratings drop at the time. Yeah, let's go with that, guys. Great idea. 
Not. And that one ended with a completely um, suspenseless finish as well, with Mark and Mally having lost the bags. Oh, well, I thought there was, like, wasn't there a similar one in, in the Rome leg where a bunch of teams got there at the same time? Yeah. The the second China leg was the gold standard for that sort of stuff, though, because they did it in such a public place that everyone was just watching and sending RFF the results. So that was the only leg where they had the entire boot order, or the entire placement order, <laughs> because it was just so public and everyone... I think, like, first through fifth came at the same time. And uh, Ben was saying that there was a story online where of people who were, you know, who were following the teams around that day, where I guess... When Mark and Mallory got to the pit stop and everyone knew that they were last, uh, apparently all the fans were there chanting, non-elimination, non-elimination, non-elimination. And then Phil was just standing there simultaneously um, confused and annoyed <laughs> by all of the fans that were lingering around there telling him not to eliminate Mark and Mallory. Because they don't have no clothes! <laughs> And we have a great question from Anthony Williams, who says, Given that villainy seems thin on the ground and a series of medivacs is unlikely, what should CBS do in casting to reinvigorate things for season 29? Cast a variety of personalities, I guess, or just just go with as wide a spectrum as possible and keep people who aren't accustomed to being in front of the camera. I think you'll get a lot more quote-unquote honest and real conflict and drama, I think, in that situation. Because with this season, everyone's been so overly nice and friendly to each other and coming off as overall non-competitive, where it's... We, we've talked about this with teams who usually go home early, but we usually pick out the ones who are there for the experience rather than ones who are there for the competition. And it seems like a lot of teams this season are there for the experience, and the competition only comes into play once they realize there's a situation like with Jessica and Brittany coming by at the roadblock where they realize, oh crap, if we help them, then our experience is completely over. It's essentially playing for the finish line rather than playing for first place. Yeah, I am the guy who last week made quite a a conversation out of why this season isn't working for me. And that all came down to the casting. I feel like, because because it is basically a knockoff all-star season, in inverted commas, because it's, you know, never going to hold a candle to the great season 11. These teams all know each other, basically. Whether they admit it or not, these people at least know of each other. And relate to to one another really well. Yeah. They are all in careers, which means that they don't want to appear to be arseholes, basically. So, they're not going to have a go at each other. They're not going to clash between teams. The only drama we're going to get is actually between bickering teammates, and hopefully that happens more because, you know, Matt and Dana need to stay in as long as possible for that. Yeah, Dana's been a quote machine for the first three episodes. She's, she sort of held back on it uh, this week where I don't know if I got anything written down by her because it seemed like all the airtime for this week was just spent on the on the Blair and Brody showmance. I feel like casting needs to... There's a great casting idea floating around, and I can't remember whether we've actually mentioned it on the podcast. The rumour is that it's going to be all strangers, which is something I've called for for ages, because it means that we are going to get a lot of trouble between teammates and between teams. It means that there's probably going to be a lot of sort of clashing and U-turns being used, and it's going to be a, hopefully a great idea, and hopefully they will do it. But that's the sort of thing that they need to do for me. They just need to... Give us teams and give us races who aren't afraid to 
I hate to say this because I sound like such a casual Survivor fan. They need, we need teams who will make big moves and not be not worry about what the public are going to think. Yeah, I, I I I would agree with that for the for the most part. I would say because this it seems like like with because uh, with Dana and Matt they are well specifically with Dana she's been saying that so much of what's been going on has been taken out of context and then some of Jessica and Brittany's quotes for this episode and. Of course, there is the claim that they just only walked to the train station and that they didn't work hard enough to try and get on with the other eight teams. But apparently the thing was is that they just weren't allowed to get tickets on that train. Yeah, they didn't want their cameraman to rat them out. Yeah. So apparently they're just... So I guess with the... I, this is actually between Cole's penalty last week that wasn't even aired and all the other stuff that's been going on. It seems like this season there's been so much stuff that's been taken out of context on screen or... Not even properly explained, for instance, not even airing the the U-turn and all the other crap that's been going on. That seems like producers are trying really hard to, you know, try to make contestants look as annoying as possible just so they can punish them for not giving them the footage that they want, which is kind of a repeat of what I said earlier. I think it boils down to the fact that there probably isn't much drama or bones of contention in this season. So to keep it interesting for the people watching... They have to mm-hmm. not make stuff up, but casually hint that there may be more going on. And it's it's yeah. stuff like the the quote from Brittany and Jessica in week one about being role models to young girls and vomiting the guts up. That was completely taken out of context. That was just them being very sarcastic, as they have been with us, and as you know, we appreciate their sense of humour. That sort of stuff is just getting taken out of context, and that does not bode well for the rest of the season for me, because I feel like this route is actually very good but there's just something not working. And the final question is going to go to Sherry Simony, who says, does Blair's father know about the romance at this point? I think what ticked him off is that Blair and Brody were sharing the same uh, sleeping bag in the quote-unquote cuddle pile during the overnight stay in the chocolate warehouse or whatever that was called. He knows. Kurt knew. This is kind of entertaining. It's too bad that they, you know, there's this hours of operation for that chocolate place, but yet they never got to eat any chocolate. If I was on the race, I'd be super pissed off because, frankly, I love chocolate. Yeah, Swiss chocolate is awesome. Is Toblerone Swiss? Yes. Yeah, then why didn't they just go to the Toblerone factory? Why couldn't that be the pit stop? Or uh, have, like, the the German guys there from The Simpsons and be like, oh, welcome to Geneva, the land of chocolate. And then, you know, there's... Chocolate bunnies that are hopping around that, you know, contestants in Homer Simpson can just take a bite out of. I'm not sure where Toblerone is actually made, but I'm pretty sure it's originally Swiss. Or is it Swedish? No, it, it's definitely, it's got the Alps on it. Why do they make it as a triangle, though? Just to be creative? Or is it a triangular prism? Well, it's triangular prism, technically, yeah. We're such nerds. <laughs> <laughs> so is there anything else to say about this episode? It sucked. This, I don't know, like the... <laughs> <laughs> Minchy words, Logan. Minchy words. Like the, you know, the first episode this season started off all right, and then second episode was okay. Third episode was kind of crappy, and then this episode was downright terrible. I didn't even have. There wasn't even that many jokes or puns or things to take out of context. Um, and then, of course, the whole train situation that was completely dumb and stupid and idiotic in so many ways. Uh, there were, towards when uh, Phil eliminated Jessica and Brittany, there was that song that sounded like it came from Snow White that started playing at the end credits. And uh, 
what was it, Brittany called Jessica, Jessica intuitive and intelligent, but yet editors tried to, you know, mock her as much as possible for the, you know, which country is in Switzerland comment, and uh, yeah, it sucked. So, thanks for listening to this UR Team Number podcast. You can join us next week to recap episode 5. If you've got any questions, feel free to contact us on our Facebook page, RTTV Warriors, on our Twitter account, at RTV Warriors, or on our own Twitter pages, at MJ Harmstone for me, and at Log Superquacky for Logan. Thank you, and goodbye. And just a, an apology to our viewers. Um, I just heard back from Jessica and Brittany, and unfortunately they can't make it onto this podcast. So, Justin and Diana win again. Damn you guys. <laughs>